break uh, over the next, just for the next few weeks from our Got Questions series, or some of you asked some questions, and just, just because we're not dealing with them right now doesn't mean you stumped us. Uh, it's, uh, we just needed more time. So it's a good thing Christmas came at this time and given us a chance to uh, take, uh, take a little bit of a break. But I'm really, I'm really excited about this, and I actually want to ask for your, uh, for your help in something. Um, uh, over the next three weeks, I kind of want to preach the same message three, the same message for three weeks in a row. And for some of you, you might think, well, oh, that's great. Then I don't have to come the next two weeks because I heard it. You know, I got a break from church because uh, I've already been there. Maybe you're like, well, Mark's just taking a break, right? If he's just going to preach the same message three times, then, you know, what's the deal with that? It's not going to be identical, but the thoughts will be similar. And the reason I want to do that is because if tonight after you heard tonight, you have that thought in your mind, uh, so-and-so should have been here. That so-and-so should have been there to hear that. I want to give you the chance, a do-over, a chance to bring that person the next time uh, or on our Christmas Eve or Christmas uh, Day services, which will be a shortened version of that. So um, wanna, want to uh, encourage you to think about that. If you're listening online, just come to the service and bring somebody. Uh, unless you're in like Dubai or somewhere else, uh, then, then whatever. But bring them because uh, I believe it's going to be an incredible, incredible um, Christmas season, uh, just for the kingdom, not just for Kingsway alone. And so I'm pretty excited about that, kind of preparing three messages all at once. I'm not going to try not to preach all three of them tonight, so we're not here till like midnight. But, uh, you know, as I've been reading the Christmas story and, and preparing for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, I've been intrigued by, I was intrigued by the stories in the Bible of people who are looking for Jesus. Uh, that was something that I just kept seeing, noticing these different things. And there are different backgrounds. They had different histories. They had different reasons and different motives for looking for Jesus. You know, as you read through, some of them are automatic and immediate, right? The wise men looking for Jesus. You know, Herod searching for Jesus. The shepherds looking for Jesus. Simeon in the temple. Anna in the temple looking for Jesus. The whole nation of Israel waiting thousands of years looking for Jesus. And then there's other stories, not surrounded right around the Christmas season, but a little further on, you see a man named Nicodemus looking for Jesus. John's disciples came looking for Jesus, and Jesus' mother and his brothers came one time, and they were looking for Jesus. And, you know, I believe people today, there are people today looking for Jesus. And so tonight, I just want to call part one, looking for Jesus. And so, you know, with my kids, every Christmas, every Christmas day, and I hope we can do it yet this, uh, on this Christmas day, we do uh, hide-and-seek nativity every uh, Christmas. It's like after the presents, it's like I always want to bring our kids back to the real meaning of Christmas. And so I take our nativity set, and we've got tons. Beth's like a collector, a hoarder of nativities. And so we've got all kinds. We take the one the kids are allowed to play with, and we bring, I bring all the pieces, and I begin to hide them in different parts of the house. Every, every grouping gets a different place. You know, shepherds get the washroom, wise and get the bedroom, angels get the basement, but I hide them somewhere. And then I send the kids out to find them as we tell the story. So first we talk about, you know, how an angel went to Mary. And so they got to go find the angel, bring it back. And then the angels got to go and find Mary. And, then, and, and we go through every part of the story. And I love the spot where they got to go find Jesus, you know, because he's the only one in the room. And everybody's trying out, like all four kids are like, we got to find Jesus. I want to be the first to find Jesus. And, you know, I can't, I hope that they never get too old for that. But that, that moment of my kids looking for Jesus just does my heart good. And yet, um, you know, for some of you, you're, you're, you've been around church for a while, and you're like, well, Mark, isn't there a verse in Romans or something that says, you know, nobody looks for God, nobody's really looking for Jesus? You're correct. It's in Romans chapter 3, 11. I'll just put it on the screen just so you can see it. It says this, no one's truly wise. No one is seeking God. As Paul wrote to the Romans, he wrote this thought that nobody's really looking for God. None of us start out our lives looking uh, for God. And it is true. 
People aren't busting down the doors tonight saying, hey, where's Jesus? You know, help, help me find Jesus. I don't know if that doesn't happen to me. It probably doesn't happen to you. It's definitely not happening here. But my, my question for you is, you know, have you ever been looking for something and you actually don't really know what it is? You're, you're looking for something, but you're not sure what it is that you're actually looking for. This week that happened to me. There's this, uh, as I was driving uh, yesterday, yes, my, um, Beth had used the car the day before and and I got in the car, I heard this knocking sound. You know, that And I'm like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't sound good. And I went, I went all the way to Brantford, and it was worse when I was driving. And so I tested it out in the, in the Tim Hortons parking lot, like in the drive-thru. I'd have it in drive, and it was making noise. And I put it in park. No noise. I'm like, well, this is weird, you know. I'm thinking, like, could it be timing belt? And, you know, I don't know vehicles, so I'm just guessing. And then, you know, as I drove home from Brantford, it was worse. And so I got to Simcoe, and, and that's where my master mechanic friend, John Stenga, who's just amazing, I, I drove to his work, and, and I kind of said, hey, do you have a minute to listen to something for me? And normally he gets it on the phone, and I make the sound with my mouth, like it goes, zuga, 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 zuga. And, you know, but this time I was like, I just want you to listen to it, like the actual car. And so he came out, and he's like, yeah. He's like, that's, that's strange. He's like, did you check the fluid levels or the oil? I'm like, I got the oil change a couple days ago. And he's like, well, that's weird. And then he says, you know, um, I think maybe it's the injectors or the lift. He's like, pop the hood, let's take a look, and, you know, have it in neutral. No, no sound, so it's just normal. And then he's like, well, let's put it in drive, foot on the brake, and rev it up. And he's like, that sound, right? And so he's like, he calls me over. He's like, I smell burnt wood. And I'm like, oh, it's maybe like that commercial, you know, I smell burnt toast. But, you know, it's, he's like, for those of you who know, seen the commercial, anyways, he's like, I smell burnt wood. I'm like, that's weird. He calls me over. He's like, hey, you know what? even though I've been thinking all day trying to figure out what I'm looking for, he's like, I know what you're looking for. It's this. And so somehow uh, this got jammed underneath my car up against, the, um, up against the belts and the pulleys. And so every time I went into a drive, the motor would shake enough that it would start rubbing up against this. And this is what making the noise and was burning. And I'm like, I took it home. I showed Beth. I'm like, do you recognize this? Like, how did this end up under our car? I'm like, maybe it was that time you ran over a snow fence trying to avoid a cat. But like, how? It, it wasn't her. Uh, and, and I... I don't know how this ended up in my car, but I wasn't looking for that. You know, I thought it was going to be something like really expensive. And he's just like, here it is, smile, wave. And, uh, you know, it's just a sermon illustration. That's all that it came of it. But I didn't know that this is what I was looking for. I was looking for something, but I didn't know that's what it was. And you know what? I, I think that that's really uh, a good um, uh, description of so many people around us today. They're looking for something. They know it's there. They just don't know what it is. And, you know, the nation of Israel... At the time of Christmas, they had been looking for a Savior for thousands of years. There had been promises of that He was coming. There was prophecies that He was coming, especially at the time of Jesus. They were like under this Roman oppression. Uh, the Romans had been ruling them for 65 years already. They were a Roman province now. They were under Roman law and Roman terms. And they were looking for a military Savior. They, they were like, He's got to be there somewhere. Uh, you know what's interesting is we did our study of Acts. It tells about how other saviors, you know, they were so desperate for saviors that guys just decided, I'm just going to save Israel. And they began to rebel. There was this guy named Thutis and this other guy named Judas from Galilee, a different Judas. But he says they kind of, they were raised up and then they, they died and all their followers disappeared. Uh, it talks about that in Acts chapter 5. But see, they, they thought that this military savior is coming. They're looking for it, looking for it, looking for it. And, then, and, and they missed the one that they were looking for. They were unaware that they needed a savior of the soul. They were only thinking that they, they were looking for something, but didn't actually realize what it was. 
And I say that again, there's people today looking for something and they're just not aware or not sure of what that is. As you go down through the story of Christmas, if you read it in Luke, you read through Luke chapter 2, it talks about, you know, the shepherds, and it talks about, you know, uh, um, the angels, and it talks about Simeon and Anna, and then it tells the story that, you know, doesn't seem to fit with a Christmas message, and it's found in Luke chapter 2, you can read it at home, verse 41 to 48. Um, it's believed that Mary told this story to Luke. Luke was a historian, a guy who said, I want to write down accurate facts so that anybody who reads this knows the truth. And so he wrote this, and it is, you know, Mary, an eyewitness of this story, tells the story of what Jesus, when he was 12 years old, they, were, they had taken him to Jerusalem, which was quite a trek. And then on the way home, all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, it's like they, it says they didn't miss him right away, but Jesus wasn't with them. You know, well, he's 12, like a preteen, you know, boy, never wants to be with their parents, uh, so I hear. And so he's, he's off, and they think, well, he must be with the other travelers. And so um, they travel all day, and that night, it says they can't find him. And so then the panic sets in. I don't know if you've a parent. Uh, this is just for the parents. Have you ever lost a child? Do you know what that feels like? You know, it's, uh, I remember that happening to us at Great Wolf Lodge with Lincoln. You know, uh, we were ready to leave, and then Lincoln disappears. And it was like, we only have a few kids. What's going on? And, and uh, then, then, you know, I've shared this before. They shut down Great Wolf Lodge, locked down everywhere. There's security at the end of the parking lot. They're checking trunks. I'm running around the parking lot looking at every, like, everyone looks like a criminal to me. You know, I'm like, somebody's got my kid in their car. And, and then all of a sudden over the radio, they're like, we found him, we found him, you know, to, to, code whatever, we got him, and he was as far down the hallway as possible. When they, when they got there, they asked him, you know, why did you run down here? I don't want to go home. And of course, no kid wants to leave Great Wolf Lodge. And he was like, you know, you find him, and you're so excited, and you want to wring his neck, and then you're so excited, and you're like, why did you put me through this, right? And it was, that, was the, that, that was like those feelings that you had, you know, and then, and then it would be great if that was the end of the story, except the following year it happened again. And then, you know, the next time you're like, you, you, you know, you definitely want to try and find him, but you just, you just know there's part of you that, that is, gets angry, but there's that spot that's like, ah, oh, you know, I, I have to find him. And so that's when we decided we were only going to have four children, one for each parent's hand, no more. And I should have known that from way before because my parents had five children. And I remember as a child uh, growing up, we once went, um, we were visiting our, um, my cousins and they lived like 20 minutes away. And then we drove home after that and we got home, the phone was ringing, and my parents, this is pre-cell phone days, my parents answer the phone, and my aunt's on the other end. She says, you missing something? And they're like, nope, we're good. She's like, go count your children. And, you know, so we go out there, we're like, oh, you know, they're like, I can't believe it. We left a child behind, you know. I thought it was Tupperware, but it was Johnny, right? We drive all the way back and, and, and pick him up. And, and you know, that, that sense. But think about Mary and Joseph. They, they lost Jesus, and you got to imagine that them as parents, like, this is a big deal. But not only that, they're like, you know, you know, Joseph, we lost Jesus. You know, we lost God. Like, we lost, like, the most important person on the planet. Like, you should have been watching. You should have been watching him. And they go back, and it says they didn't know where to find him. It took them three days to find him. Not only did they not miss him right away, later on they didn't know how to find him. I just want you to remember those two thoughts. They didn't miss him right away, and they didn't know where to find him. And the reason, you know, as I read through that, those kind of things jumped out at me. And 
I was listening to a series by Andy Stanley a, a while back, and it reminded me of the stories that he, that he had shared during that series. And I, and I want you to see them. They're stories Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Luke again writing, he writes this, word, this, this sentence in verse 1. He says that the tax collectors and notorious sinners, this group of people love being around Jesus, and so they would often come and listen to him teach. And the religious people around there hated that. They were like, Jesus is a religious man, and he doesn't want to hang out with us religious people. He's always hanging around with the riffraff. And so everybody who was like, it says it this way, everyone who was nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. Every, no, the people who were nothing like him liked him. And the ones who, you know, who thought he should have been with them, they hated him. And so he, he has them all together. And he can see that they're angry at each other. He can see that this is a problem once again. And so he begins to tell stories. And, you know, Jesus is a master storyteller. He begins to tell a story to both groups of people. And so just for, just for tonight, for illustration, I want you guys to picture you guys that what you guys get to choose. I chose you first. Do you want to be tax collectors and sinners, or do you want to be the religious people? I knew it. You look like tax collectors and sinners, right? <laughs> you, you guys get to be the righteous people, right? So, so... Right on. So here's Jesus, and he begins to tell, I'll be Jesus, okay, just because no one else is able to do that right now. So uh, just picture me as Jesus. So uh, here he's got these two groups of people, and he begins to tell them these stories, and you can find them and read them for yourself. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. I'll put it up on the screen uh, via Lily. All right. So Luke chapter 4, or 15, it says this in verse 4. If a man, he says to them, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? They're like, hmm. And then he says, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? That's not a question. And the audience would have all been like, yeah, nodding. And they look over at the tax collectors, and they're not. And the tax collectors look over at the righteous. They're nodding. Wait a second. We agree on something. You know, that, 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 that doesn't happen. And so Jesus, he says to them, you know, won't he, um, won't he leave the rest and search for the one until he finds it? And so then when he has found it, you know, he'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. And they probably snicker a little bit because they probably didn't go to that depth. You know, they found their lost lamb. If, you know, as, a, as you know, having sheep as a child, it wasn't like, you know, you found that lost lamb. You're calling all the neighbors over. But they're like, you know, he's, he's painting this picture for them. There's a sense of joy that, that, that the person feels because they found what was lost. And then in verse 7, uh, it says this, In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. He says there's more joy over finding what was lost than what you had. There was more joy in the one sheep than in the 99 that you, that you had. And it's, it's true if you think about it. You know, you think about the things, you know, the, the, there's more joy when you find something even than that thing gave you when it was lost. You know, you have your cell phone in your wallet, and you probably all have those with you tonight, and it's not like you're, like, holding them just so, you know, just so don't, don't, don't ever leave me again, you know? It's like I'm just going to cherish you and keep you in my sight. But when you lose them, you know, all of a sudden it's like you're looking everywhere for them, and when you find them, you're like, oh, I found my iPhone. I'm so glad you weren't stolen, and, like, all my stuff isn't gone. You know, my wallet, oh man, you check in through it, you're like spending quality time with your wallet, and those are just things. But they bring you more joy in that moment than they ever brought you before. And Jesus is saying to them, there was more joy in that one person that returned. And all the sheep farmers like, yeah, yeah, that's right, that one lamb, 
There is more joy in that than, than all those other 99. You know, I just had normal 100 sheep, but now I got that one, that one that came back, the one that was rescued. And the women are all sitting in the audience looking at Jesus. I'm like, why is he telling farm stuff? I'll get all these farm illustrations, you know? Like, sure, my husband loves Jesus, but I, don't, I just don't get it. And then he reads their minds, and he carries on. And he says in verse 8, he says, or suppose a woman. And they're like, whoa. And they begin to listen. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins, and she loses one. Won't she? Won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search carefully until she finds it? And they're sitting there thinking the women are, you know, we don't know the value of these coins. For some, they've said these coins, you know, the value of the silver was the, one of the reasons why they would uh, have that. For some, that was their dowry. You know, it's like that, that once they got married, that, that uh, headdress or that, those coins uh, would be given to the, their prospective husband. And it's like, I'm worth 10 coins. I might get, you know, extra good looking guys. But if I lose all my coins, you know, nobody's going to want to marry me except for crazy Louie, right? Like it was that idea of I, I, those coins are valuable. So we don't, we don't really know what they were used for or their, their value. But what we do know is they're valuable. You know how we know? Because the woman cleans the entire house looking for them. That's how you know something's valuable. You know, we lose stuff, and we just like, eh, maybe the vacuum will find it. But other times, it's like, you know, Beth, I remember her losing her wedding rings one time, and she's, you know, I, then we're searching everywhere. Like, now I'm cleaning out the filter of the dishwasher, and we're, like, looking down in the sink, you know. Is there anything else in there other than the kids' toothbrushes and marbles and whatever else is in the, in the drain? Then it's like, check the vacuum. And I'm like, I haven't checked the vacuum in a year. It's this full of all, like, everything else. And you go through that dust, and you're sneezing, and re- you're filtering through all the hairballs, trying to find three rings. You go to... Un- insane lengths to find the things that are valuable to you. And, you know, she found them in her, like, apron the next time she did hair. You know, it was like, and, and guess what? There was great rejoicing in our house when she found them, right? It was like, she's like, rejoice with me. I'm like, I will rejoice with you. We found these rings. I no longer have to search for them. Do you know, do you know, it says this, when she finds it, she, she's going to call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. And in the same way, it says there is joy in the presence of God, uh, of God's angels when even one sinner repents. He's saying in that same way. And so all the guys in the audience, tax collectors and religious guys, all the women, because maybe there was women tax collectors, maybe it was just the prostitutes, but it was also like the, the women on this side are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I would have that sense of, Joy, And then he says this in verse 15, to illustrate the point even further. So Jesus is not just telling stories. He's making a point. He says, he told them this story. He said, a man has two sons. And for some of you, you're like, I've heard this story and you're about to zone out. I caught you. Don't. Like, I, this is Sunday school 101. Yeah, but welcome to 102. You're going to learn something you probably didn't know before. So it says this, and he says, to illustrate it further, the man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. Basically, and you've heard it before, he says, Dad, I just wish you were dead. You know, please just give me my inheritance now as if you were dead because you just are too healthy and you're going to take too long to die, and I want to go have some fun. And so, you know, we would think, and the guy, people listening to the story would think, you know, the dad really would, you know, would say, hey, you want me dead? Well, you're grounded. You know, go to your room for the rest of your life, and I'm going to live forever, right? And you can stay there until, until whatever. But it's interesting to know, you know, my, my dad probably would have spanked me or, like, grabbed me by the ear or something back in, that, in the day if I had told him, you know, I wish you were dead. But 
this guy, this dad let him go. He let his son walk away. And for some who know the rest of the story, you're like wondering, well, why didn't, why didn't the dad just like go get him right then and there? But the father wanted relationship with his son, not just to have his son live in the same house. He didn't want him just to keep him at home. He wanted relationship with him. And you'll see it as we go through. It says a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings. He moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And you got to picture the crowd listening because they were Jewish people. So as they're listening, they're like, Oh, yeah, that is what he deserves. You know, the Jewish people, pigs was the worst possible thing. And here he is feeding the pigs. And all of the people on this side are nodding. Yeah, he deserves that. And all the people on this side are definitely nodding. Yes, he deserves that. And so it says, then the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. No one gave him any food. No one gave him, a, you know, a taxi ride home. Nobody gave him anything. Then it says in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying with hunger. You know what it means, you know, when he finally came to his senses? When he finally said, you know, man, I've just got to look at my life. Like, is this my life really? My life is really sitting in a pig pen? You know, like, this sucks. I'm starving. I can't eat any of this food. Here I am, like, it was way better at dad's house. It was way better uh, there than I ever realized. My, the servants have it better than me. And so he says, you know, I'm going to go home to my father. And he prepares his little speech. He realizes. He comes to his senses and he says, Father, this is his plan. As he walks that, that long way home, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm not worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Just leave that up there for a minute. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You know, he's thinking about himself, you know, that, that totally, un, totally unworthy. He realizes what he's done and where, where he's gone. He's like, maybe, just maybe, I can go back to God. Uh, I can go back to dad and be a servant. And for some, you know, when people have in that spot when they're thinking about God, that's what they think is going to happen to them. If I could just go, you know, if, if God would, you know, accept me, or, or even the thoughts of I don't even want to go back to God because he's going to make me a slave. He's going to make me do all the stuff I don't want to do. He's going to send me to Africa. He's going to make me marry like a boring person, you know, and he's going to like take all my money, right? Like I don't want to be a servant. But it says this. While he was still a long way, or so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. His father saw him coming. And it says, filled with love and compassion. And everybody sitting there hearing Jesus say those words would have thought something else. Filled with rage and filled with anger. And like, here's dad waiting. Just, you know, maybe that son's going to come back. He wanted me dead, you know, and then he ran away. And like, maybe. But what does he say? He's filled with love and he's filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. And his son said to him, here comes the speech. Dad, okay, hold on. Stop hugging me and stop kissing me. You know, I just got out of a pig pen. I reek. Dad, listen, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And as he carries on to say, you know, make me one of your servants, his father cuts him off and just says, his father says, wait, hold on, stop. And he says to the servants around him, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening all this time. We got to celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. 
not servant. This son of mine was dead, and he's now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. It says, so the party began. In each of these three stories, as Jesus is telling this to this group of people, something was lost. There was a lost sheep. There was a lost coin. There was a lost son. But in each of these stories, which we don't often realize, is that someone was looking for the thing that was lost. Someone in each of these stories was looking for the thing that was lost. In the first two stories, the lost item doesn't even know it's lost. A coin doesn't know it's lost, and a sheep doesn't know it's lost. It's just just lost. And all of a sudden, it sees the shepherd come out to find it. They were unaware. They were unaware of the position that they were in. The man and the woman were looking for this lost sheep and this lost coin, but they didn't know it. They didn't know that they were lost. The children of Israel, as they're waiting for this, for this military savior, didn't realize that they were actually more lost and more in trouble, that they needed a different kind of savior. In the third story, it tells about the father looking for his son. He didn't go out to get him, but he was always looking. His eyes were on the road where that son would be coming back if he ever came back. And when the son came back, still covered in the filth of the pig pen, he ran out and he hugged him and he kissed him. The son simply came back. He knew that he left on purpose. He says, you know, it's my fault. I've sinned. This, I've sinned against heaven and you. The son simply comes back. It's the father who puts a new coat on him. It's the father who makes sure that he's cleaned up. It's the father who puts the family ring back on his finger and sandals on his feet and says, you know what? You are my son. My son that was dead and my son that was lost is now alive and now he's found. You know, as Jesus is telling the story, they're scratching their heads because both sides don't fully believe that this, you know, where he's going with the story. But what it tells us is that Jesus wasn't looking at this group and thinking, hmm, tax collector, notorious sinner, you know, murderer, thief. You know, he, he's not looking at that. He's simply looking at the whole group of people. And he's looking at these ones are connected to my father. These ones are not connected to their heavenly father. These are the ones who need the relationship with Heavenly Father. And as he looks across them all, he says, you guys judge people based on, you know, where, where you think they are. You've got, like, categories. Tax collector, notorious sinner. You, you don't even want to offend the tax collectors or the sinners by calling them uh, just one group. You know, you've got these things that you judge them by. And he says, Jesus says, all I see is people not connected with their Heavenly Father or people who are. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says this, for the Son of Man, as he tells him later, the Son of Man came to seek, to look for, and save those who are lost. That Jesus' whole mission was looking for those that were lost. The ones who should be looking for him is the ones that he's looking for. And it's the message of Christmas. I want to do two things at once tonight. Hopefully we can do this. I want to ask our, our ushers just to hand out the emblems of communion. If a bunch of you guys can do that. While they're doing that, uh, maybe you guys can just start at the front and work your way back so it's not like too distracting. Um, I want you guys to listen to something um, tonight, you know, because the message of Christmas, the thing that people are looking for and don't realize they're looking for is this, that Jesus came to this earth, that he really did come to this earth. And, you know, the reason that Jesus came was not so we could have a few days off work in December. It wasn't that we would celebrate his birthday as if it's our birthday. You know, we get presents because it's Jesus' birthday. Woohoo! And I'll take two days off work. He came to die. And as you, as you think about that thought, that part's not that unique, is it? When you think about the fact that Jesus came to die, well, all men die. But what you don't always think about is the fact that we weren't designed to die. Do you realize that as humans, we were not ever, it wasn't our design that we would die? It's why we have this innate desire to live. 
We fight to live. You see people go through all kinds of um, circumstances, and they fight to live. It's when we see someone die that it's that feeling of, well, that just isn't fair. You know, we see they, they should have had more time. It doesn't feel or seem right when they die. It's that same thought, you know, that, that's in us. That's like, there's got to be more after this. Nobody had to teach you that. That's just hardwired in. But the reason why all men die is this thing called sin, and we know it. We, every one of us, born with selfish, self-seeking, sin-seeking desires, we're born with it. And yet, we've all chosen it too, haven't we? We've all chosen at one point to give in and follow those desires at least once. I could ask you to raise your hands, but I know they're all going to be up as well, as well as mine. No one could say that we've lived perfect in deed and thought. And the end result of that, the end result of sin, is this thing that we know as death. That things die because of sin. But Jesus came. He came to die. And it's, it's this thought that he came, the third thought, came to die not as a result of his sin, but as a payment for our sin, for mine, for yours. See, the fact that someone would die for another person, that's amazing. Think about this for a second. The best man among us, I'd have a vote, but it's probably my dad. So, you know, the best, or tie with Gary, I don't know. But the best, the best man among us, would they die for the worst one among us? If we knew everybody's dirty sins and we figured out who the worst person was and we figured out who the best one was, would that best one die for the worst? Not a chance. They might die for a good person, but they're not dying for the worst one. And that's what Jesus did. Uh, that's what he did for us. He died for the worst. As you think about the worst people possible in history, maybe you think you're that person. He died for us. He died for our sin. And it's not the most amazing part of the story. It is amazing, but it's not the most amazing part. Because Jesus conquered sin, he never sinned. He was sinless. He also conquered death. And that's the reason that death couldn't hold him. And Jesus rose from the dead. You know, the truth of Christmas is that he came, that he died for our sins, but that he did rise from the dead. That's not a story. That's fact. He was seeking this thought right here. He was seen by many witnesses after he rose from the dead. And they wrote about it. You know, the thing that we know is that his closest followers watched him die on a cross. His closest followers put his body in a tomb. And after they had done that, they became closet followers. They all went and hid. Nobody thought after that moment, nobody believed that he was their savior. He was their savior while he was alive. He was going to be the one. He's the Messiah. And then he dies. And they thought, the same thought, he must just be a man just like us. You know, another man like us because he died. And yet a few days later, a few days later, they looked into an empty tomb. A few days later, they had breakfast with him on a beach. A few days later, he's visiting him in their house and they see him alive. These same men who were terrified of everything see a risen Savior, and they knew that he was the Savior indeed. Nothing could change their minds after that. Not persecution, not prison, not threats of punishment, not threats of death, not even death itself. As they were standing before their, before their executioners, dying, all they had to do was deny that what they had seen, they made it up, they wouldn't. Because they knew that they knew that they knew that they had found a risen Savior and death didn't matter because he had conquered that and they knew what was going to happen on the other side. Jesus' final words to them was this, go into all the world and preach this good news to everyone. Invite people to find forgiveness from sin. 
Invite people to find forgiveness from sin. Not invite people to join a church. Invite people, offer them eternal life, not by joining a church, but by relationship with the Father through believing in me. And that message is the same today. The same today. And for some, you're like, yeah, I've heard it so many times. And you know what? I'm on that list. I've heard it so many times that sometimes it loses the power in my life and in our lives that it should have. And it's the power of salvation for those around us. There's two groups of people here today. I just want you to, I want you to ask yourself which one you are. Maybe you're the one that I described right from the beginning. You're looking for something and you just don't know what it is. It's why you're here tonight. You thought maybe, maybe I'm going to find it in church. Maybe. You know, you've tried finding it, but each time you've, you've tried something that might fill the emptiness inside, you're just left more empty than before. You know, the drinking and the pills, the buzz, the high, the money, the stuff, the food, the friends, the parties, the sex, the cutting, maybe even the religious activities of I said a prayer. I've left you empty. See, following Jesus is not a quick fix because that's not really what any of us want anyways. It's not really what we're looking for. See, the truth about Jesus and the amazingness of the message is this, that he is the unending supply of life. He's the unending supply of life. It's not the sinner's prayer or a decision you made that he's talking about. And for so many Christians, that's the extent of their Christianity. I said a prayer, so now I'm going to heaven someday, but you're empty. And he's saying to you tonight, if you're looking, he called out to the people and said, if you're thirsty, come to me and find life. But you know what it is? In the same way that the father wasn't just looking for his son to say, hey, I'm sorry, dad, I shouldn't have said that. And stay in the house, you know, tell me you're sorry and you can stay in this house, I'll forgive you. It was a letting him go. And when he came back, he's like, you know what, I didn't want just to say, I don't want you to say you're sorry. I want relationship with you. I want to be connected to you because you know what? It's in the continual connectedness to him. The relationship with him, that is life. You know, there's a brokenness that we bring. And for so many, you know, as you give your brokenness to God, he picks up the pieces and he holds them together. As long as you leave your life in his hands, that brokenness is held together by him. The moment that you step out of that, you become broken again. The emptiness on the inside of us, that is continually filled as you're connected to him. And for those of you who spend time in the word, you know it. It lights you up as you're connected. And when you're not, it's like, oh, I feel dry. I feel empty. I feel dull. That emptiness, it's continually filled out of the relationship with him. Do you realize that a hose is empty? It has nothing to offer, no life-giving water to offer unless it's connected to a life-giving, uh, water-giving faucet. A cord, an extension cord, is powerless unless it's connected to a power-filled outlet, and only then. A branch is useless to produce fruit unless it's connected to a tree. And we've heard these things before, but guess what? A person, a person is empty unless they're connected to their Heavenly Father in a continual relationship. That is the message of Christmas. That is what Jesus came to do. That's the message that he did everything so you could be connected to the Father. And the, you know, it's interesting, the joy for the lost son didn't end after the party was over like every other party in life. It had just begun because it was relationship with the Father. And so today, if you're in that group, he's inviting you to turn from a life of sin and to begin a relationship with him. To say, you know what, I, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm going with you. Keep me connected to you. Today, as we have these emblems in front of us, this bread and this cup, Jesus gave that to his followers and said, you know, I want you to remember what I've done for you. I want you to remember, never forget that my body was broken for you, that I came, that I sacrificed myself 
for you. That I took your penalty of sin. That I took the guilt. I took the shame. Don't ever let the enemy put that back on you. That past is past. That is forgiven. It's gone. Allow that to be gone. Remember that's gone. And if you forget, let me remind you of the cross with this little piece of bread and this little cup. And so he said to his followers, he said, take this bread. This is my body. It's broken for you. It's not because of anything I've done, but I'm laying my life down for you. And he says, every time you take it, remember that it's done for you. And so today, (laughs) 2,000 years later, we have the chance to do that. So would you, as his followers, take this piece of bread and remember what it is that he's done for you. And then it said he took a cup. He said, this is the blood of, my new, uh, of a new covenant. This is the sign of a new covenant, something that can never be changed. That your sin is washed away, gone, not covered, gone. Each and every day there is new mercy in me. Relationship with me is the key to living in that freedom and that victory. But don't try to earn it. I already did it. Just live in it. And so they took the cup. And he says, and every time you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Would you do that together? Think about the amazing, amazing message of Christmas. That the Father realized there's a broken world and he came looking for us. That he sent his son Jesus looking for lost people. I was one of those lost people. You were one of those lost people that he came looking for. And here's my thought and question for the rest. Maybe you're not in that first group. Maybe you're in the second group as a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's my question for you. Your father is looking for lost people, but are you? Your father's looking for lost people. Are you? I want to be a church that's looking for lost people. That's looking for the people who are looking for Jesus, even though they don't know that they're looking for him. The ones who would be looking for people who are looking for Jesus, even though they don't know they're looking for him. That's what Heavenly Father is doing. You know, he's not looking at people based on their lifestyle. He's looking on based on whether they're connected with him or not. We talked about this at our small group this week. Can we invite, who can we invite to church? You know, there's certain people in my family, they, 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 their lifestyle, they know God wouldn't, doesn't accept that lifestyle. You can invite them to church. You can invite them to him because they're looking for someone in that lifestyle. That we would simply be a church who looks at people, people, not as sinners in whatever we see it as, but to simply look at people as not connected to their Heavenly Father and to give them the chance to be connected to their Heavenly Father, to let Him do for them what He did for that prodigal son, to love them, to wrap them up (laughs) in what we think would be filth, to say, you know what? Let me put a new coat on you. Let me change. Let me bring, let me show you what life is really all about. So the question for you over this next three weeks is this. Who around you is looking for something. Who around you is looking for something but is unaware that it's Jesus they're looking for? Maybe for you it's your, your kids. Maybe for you it's your parents. Maybe it's the person at school. Maybe it's the gals at the water cooler. Maybe it's the guys at your work. Maybe it's the feed guy who brings stuff to your barn. Who is it around you that is looking and unaware of what they're looking for? Would you ask God to open your eyes to that, to those around you who need Jesus? The other question is this, who do you not see here today? Because this is the one that got me. This is the reason why all of this started for me, is I started realizing that there's people 
There's people who leave Kingsway and they go on to serve the kingdom in other areas. They go and start things. They go join other churches and we bless them to go. And then there's others who leave and they don't go anywhere. And in that not going anywhere, they, we see them walking away from the Lord. And so often for me, it's been this thing of I don't want that awkward conversation. I don't want that awkward text. I don't want that awkward phone call. And we continue to let them walk away. But he's calling on my heart this, this week, putting people, specific people in my mind of they're not here. And I love them. Would you reach out? And my question is for you. Who do you not see here tonight that he's put on your heart? Would you reach out? Would you ask someone to come with you to church next week? Would you ask someone to come with you on Christmas Eve? It's the most likely time for anyone to come. I won't preach this long that night. I promise. I just want to inspire you tonight with that thought that there's somebody who's on the other side of your ask, and we've never I don't think ever told people to invite people to church. This whole thing grew just because you wanted to. And yet, I feel it's so, so necessary. Because, you know, think about it. What really matters in this life? What really matters? And I'm starting to realize what really matters is that my friends know him and grow in him. That's what really matters. It doesn't really matter what they think of me. It doesn't really matter what they think of me asking. If uh, If they reject it, they're rejecting Christ, not me. Our job is simply to ask. It's what he left us on this planet to do. And so I want to challenge and encourage you over the next couple of weeks, who is the person looking for Jesus? And are you looking for the person looking for Jesus? Tonight, if you're here and you're that first person, you're like, you know what? I I need Christ in my life. I I need to do what you've just been talking about. I'm the one who's empty. Please come talk to me or talk to somebody afterwards. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus and help you start that relationship with the Father tonight. And for those of you, it's a great reminder for us to continue to stay connected to him. There's other people's lives that depend on it. Can we pray? Father, I believe I've shared what's on your heart. I know I've shared what's on mine. But Holy Spirit, I pray that tonight, if in any way it came across as guilt-motivated or any of that type of stuff, would you just wipe that all away? Would you just stir up that desire in people's hearts, that love for others? Would you stir that up in them like you've done in me? I pray, Father, for those around us who are looking for you, and we see them. I pray you would give us boldness. We ask for boldness, just like the apostles did in Acts, that you'd give us boldness to share your gospel in the face of anything we might face. For their sake, Lord, that they might come to know you. Father, thank you for bringing us into your family. Thank you for the freedom and the future and the friendship that we have with you. It's awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. May we take the opportunities this Christmas season to freely give that away to those who are needing it and maybe not realizing it. Excited, Lord, to hear the stories of how you work with each each and every one of these people here, building your kingdom. It's in your awesome name we pray tonight. It's for your glory. Amen.